Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today for May 28, 2020. Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia, with you here on the show every day, two hours on the program. We'll have a lot of fun on this show. We got a big NASCAR preview coming up. Millions and millions of people are breaking records watching NASCAR. Of course, we have another big race coming up this weekend. So Matt Sells will join us a little bit later with the show on that. We've got some fan duel odds to get to on the NFL side, some quarterbacks, and of course, some running backs as well, and uh, and who knows? Maybe we'll have something in from uh, Joe's garage today too. You never know what could pop up. What's going on? <laughs> Not today. Today we're still in black book mode. We're happy to announce that we're getting ever so close to release of the new football black book. I know Craig does not want to talk about football, but for those of you who do, we're getting very close. The master copy is done. Now we're sizing and doing all the annoying work, but we're getting very close. And when that book is up on Amazon. Joey P can take a little rest and that's that's what it's all about. So we're getting ever closer and then I will be uh, having a, a nice, nice, large uh, double whiskey, I think, after this one's done for sure. Well, it takes a lot of time to put those things together. The Purple Book's been done for a month. Uh, we already put it up on Etsy. It's the best seller <laughs> there. Is it's, it is uh, it crocheted the cover? Is it? Is oh, it a nice man, we have we cover? have. Yeah, we have a special <laughs> edition of it. It's uh, a felt edition. Oh, yeah. very tactile. Very nice choice yeah. there. That's got the best in the business on that thing. <laughs> Grandmothers, grandparents all around the world are picking uh-huh. up. Well, that's very quick. It took us like a month. That's it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we, we've been working on this since uh, since February, pretty much in terms of getting that's things. You do it, uh, you do it my way. You do the backup tight ends in every league, and you just put that in the book. Nothing else. That's it. Backup tight ends, kickers. But, but that's people it. just care that it feels real nice to the touch. That's all they care. They don't. The you know, absolutely irrelevant. You're right. You're right. It's all about making sure that as you're losing at the end of the season, you can have that book and stroke it, and and maybe maybe all the pain will go away. That's exactly. what it's about. That's yeah, it. you just you, you stroke it, Joe, as you said. That's the way. To, that's the way to go. <laughs> well, I told you it's going to be a wacky show today. So it, here it we appear, go. It appears, go. It appears that way, and uh, you know, kind of as we uh, wait for uh, baseball to sort of get their stuff figured out. Um, at least we got some good news on uh, the baseball front today for a couple of different teams: the Miami Marlins and the San Diego Padres are the two teams as we are doing the show today. And again. It's very possible that as of right now, there are three or four or even five. But as we were talking right here yesterday, the news broke that essentially that those are the two clubs that are going to actually pay their minor leaguers throughout the whole entire season. Now, let's also keep in mind here, the Marlins have furloughed employees. A lot of teams have furloughed employees and are not paying their minor leaguers. And so I don't really know how to champion anybody at this time because you have to kind of go through all the steps. Okay, did you did you furlough employees? No. Okay, good. Did you pay your minor leaguers? Good. Uh, you know, it's like it's it's kind of like a back and forth situation for me, but at the very least, it's a good sign that those guys are getting paid. I have a question for you, and I just kind of thought about it as I was listening to you talk about this uh, and what's going back and forth between the owners and the players. Is Derek Jeter the only guy that crosses both of those streams that you could say this guy was a player, not only a player, but a great player and certainly a highly paid player and also part of ownership? Has, is there anybody else in Major League Baseball that can say that, that I, maybe I'm forgetting someone? 
okay. So can you can you rephrase the question? So this is there is, a is there anybody involved in ownership right now that was also a player at one time? Uh, certainly not at the level. Maybe not at the level. A general of manager or an owner? Uh, but let's say. Well, right now it's going between ownership and the players. Right, these proposals going back and forth. I, I'm just kind of curious as we're talking about this, and there is a point to what I'm getting at. But I figure you might know better than me yeah, if there's I anybody mean, else who fits that bill. I I mean currently. Um, I mean, Billy Bean played for the uh, the Twins, so right. I mean, does that count? He's a part owner of the A's. He's a minority stakeholder. Right, but he never uh, made he, Derek Jeter type money as a player. So oh uh, no, I don't. Well, right. if that's the Obviously. point, then I well, I, or anything close to that. In other words, you know, we have like the Michael Jordans of the world who had ownership and things like that. I, I guess no, the point I, I'm getting to is so. it's it's great to hear that you know the minor leaguers are being paid through August. That's terrific. I know some organizations there's real concerns. I know in Oakland they were talking about. Uh, not paying them come June, potentially. Right. Um, and for some of them, they can't even collect unemployment, which is kind of a difficult situation <laughs> for them to be in. Um, I guess my point is, do we have to look to Derek Jeter or someone like that who can understand, you know, where the player's point of view is as being a very highly paid player and now part of responsible for running a franchise and what that means all the way down the trough to all the executives and the scouts and the people who run the buildings and everyone else who works there? I would think that his input into this current scenario might be the most valuable of anybody out there in baseball right now, because there's nobody that crosses both of those streams the way Derek Jeter does. And I'm curious, you know, have you heard any buzz of what he thinks about these proposals going back and forth? Or, I mean, if you had to wager a guess, how do you think he feels about players having to take cuts potentially to their salary or maybe the highest paid players take cuts and so on right. and stagger yeah. throughout? I haven't talked to him. I will. Um, but as of right now, I have not. Uh, let's also keep in mind, this is not to play against the Marlins and play devil's advocate, but again, uh, Derek Jeter is the CEO of the entire team, not just the players. And right. he is part of a group that inevitably, well, G Derek is not getting paid a cent right now, right. but he is part of the group along with Bruce Sherman, who is the majority stakeholder, the principal stake owner, that decided to furlough a lot of their employees. Now, remember, not every Major League Baseball team has done that. So while we are giving them credit for paying the minor leaguers, let's also remember that not every Major League Baseball team has furloughed employees like the Marlins. And so I want to make sure that I keep it uh, fair on that sense. And as far as the reasoning goes behind this, this is kind of my understanding uh, uh, to a degree that we have a, a draft coming up uh, in Major League Baseball on the 10th of June. Right. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be back on my podcast, actually, for the first time next week, previewing that. Mm -hmm. We'll preview it here, too, if you guys are interested in the draft. But it, maybe, the, maybe as we get closer, I'll tell you who everyone's going to take. But I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, is that there are things that are going on that not everybody really sees as far mm -hmm. as this is concerned. Right. And the one thing that I think that people are forgetting is that if you are a potential free agent that is coming out of college baseball— and when I say that, you may say, well, what do you mean a free agent in college baseball? Well, there's only five rounds of the draft this year. Right. So there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of kids who have nowhere to go mm -hmm. as soon as the season ends. And very similarly, for the first time ever to the NFL draft, you're going to have a fight for the best kids who were not drafted right. because you could only pay them $20,000. That's the most you can pay. It doesn't matter if Derek Jeter is on Well, maybe. I guess it does matter if Derek Jeter is on the phone. But that's <laughs> the point. Take care of our minor leaguers here.
So when your mm. season is over and you're deciding amongst some of the teams that you potentially want to go to, and we know that no college kids going right to the majors, we take care of our minor league players. If you're a minor league player and you're deciding, of course, having Derek Jeter on the phone, I, I've shot, I should have started with that. I mean, that's a big deal, too. But let's eliminate that from the conversation and look at opportunity. The opportunity that you would get in Miami is one that you know going in, well, that franchise, if some bleep hits the fan, they're paying their guys. So maybe I would choose to go to San Diego or go to Miami or potentially another team that's decided to take care of their minor league kids. I think there's a part of this to that. And I think yeah. that that's something that's not talked about, but there's no question that Chipotle cards after the draft is over is not going to get it done to get your kid to sign. <laughs> something is going to have to happen. It's going to be very tough. <sighs> Sixth round, seventh round kids, Joe, in college that are coming out that could be major league players in two, three years and getting all these calls on the other end of the line from general managers and presidents getting 15, 20 calls. How do you pick? What right. team do you pick? I mean, it. I mean, well, I mean, 20 grand. That's it. That's the number. So you mm -hmm. literally are going to be fighting with everybody else. And it is interesting. And I'll have to dive into this a little bit more because you actually – gave me something that I'll have to ask, which is essentially if the Marlins uh, are looking at a player and, and they're going to be fighting with the White Sox, as an example, uh, is Derek Jeter on the phone on one end and Frank Thomas is on the other end? Like, I mean, right. how, how's that? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I'm just curious what Derek Jeter thinks if he was in a position of, say, the Garrett Coles of the world who would have to trim down a $36 million salary under this new and, you know, potential counterproposal down to nine million and things like that. that. That's the most fascinating because I don't know if there's anybody who can really speak to both ends of this. You know, the right. owners are the owners oh. and ownership is ownership. And, yeah, there's some ex-players who are general managers and whatnot. But we're talking like CEOs. We're talking about people who are, sure. you know, have a higher level of responsibility to the organization as a whole. You know, even even greater than the general manager because we're talking about the business side of baseball. And yet this was a player who was responsible for, as we talked about earlier in the week, raising the bar of salaries and being one of these people, you know, you don't, you don't go backwards. You always go forward with salaries and you always try to move on and press things for the good of the union, the good of the MLB PA. And it's kind of fascinating because I think he is the one person that might be able, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on DJ, but at the end of all things, I feel like that's the kind of guy that needs to be in this room and say, look, you know, either we're going to take a hit here or we're going to try to do something together Let's all try to do something together here that works for everybody. And I, I feel like that's the kind of person that they need to be in between these negotiations. And I don't know if that is the case. And I'm sure it's not well, right that's now. The thing. Well, well, that's the key that you just said there is yeah. that we will not hear from Derek Jeter, nor will we hear from right. any owner individually until this is all said and done. Uh, in the last week, you've heard a lot of negotiations. Do you see a single quote from any owner of no. any major league base? No, and you won't. And we haven't and seen any won't. quotes since Blake Snell's little, you and, know, comment all by you won't. Harper. You see sources, which is fine because I have. Oh, sources. but Harper had a little post on social media. Like there as were a, a player, I'm saying as the owner, you will not oh, see no. a single owner make a comment. No, it will not until it's over. So, so respectfully, when this is over. Uh, I may be able to ask the ownership of the Marlins like about this and more and and more in depth. But even if I did now, it would be off the record. It would there would be no. Sure. Possible. Oh, and they're, I, they're I, not going to comment on their negotiations. Of course not. And, and I would never think that you would share that information off the record or anything like that. It's just more of a hypothetical where, you know, as you were talking about it, I was thinking, man, what what could you do to get people to come together here? And the one person who actually understands the fiscal responsibility of an organization on one hand. 
and the responsibility of being a star in the league on the other, there's only one person, and that's Derek Jeter. That's it. He's the guy. So it, is, like it is, but just as much Jeter on the on that side is is you know on the and, and look, I I get it. I mean, Joe Torre was was a really good player too, and he is basically Derek Jeter and Joe Torre together in a room and bang this thing out. <laughs> like, I mean, like come on, man. Like, I mean, they, look, there's a lot there's a lot to it. Um, you know, let's also keep in mind that Derek Jeter earns a pretty massive salary to be the CEO of the Marlins. He's got to protect his own interests. He's got to protect the majority interests. Remember, Derek Jeter owns about 5 to 10% of the Marlins, and Bruce Sherman is the principal owner. He owns over 50%. So there is a gap there, and you're playing essentially with your own money, but with somebody else's money too. So he's right. got to defend his main in- investor. So. Uh, I get what you're saying completely. I wish play, that I could... then it's no money, period. And that's the thing. It's like you're not going to be playing with any money if we don't figure out something soon. As you keep saying, every day that ticks by is right. another day that we kind of go down this rabbit hole with this. All right. We'll be back with this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthdays right here on Sports Grid after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back. It's time for this day in fantasy sports. It's the 28th of May. We're closing in on June of 2020. Summertime is here. School is ending for a lot of kids coming up pretty soon. And uh, I have to say, I do feel really bad, Joe, for the graduating kids of 2020. A a really once-in-a-lifetime, essentially, event where a lot of uh, online graduating and Zooming and, you know, no proms and all of that. Uh, You know, I... I mean, it's probably a little bit overrated. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but I, I do feel bad for those kids. Not, not, not the kids in the lower school. They're going to have a great summer. They don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. But but the kids who are graduating, you know, they expected this big shebang. Yeah. Nothing. No, it's 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 definitely uh, it's sad. I mean, it's just kind of the traditions of it. And you do remember those big moments. You do remember the graduation ceremony and you do remember. I, I don't remember the last day of high school. And for no like reason, I wasn't under the influence. I just don't remember it. But I certainly remember, you know, last games played. I remember last plays done. I certainly remember prom and all those things. And and yeah, I mean, those rites of passage, I think when you're 17, 18 years old in high school, those are the spring of your senior year of high school is, is a very special time. You know, it's kind of the end of end of your childhood in a lot of ways. So yeah, it's it's a weird transition to think of them then transitioning straight off to college and how many campuses will be open <laughs> for colleges and how does that work? Will people just be home online doing school in September? I don't know. It depends, I guess, certainly on hard where the universities are. It's very hard to say, but it is a bummer. And um, you know, if anyone is home or watching the show today and you are part of that class and you're watching us because you like listening about sports and uh, I can tell you, we feel for you. I understand. But high school, hopefully, is not going to be the last great thing that you do. There will be lots of other things out there 
I know for my daughter, she's, you know, this is on the smaller scale. This is her last year of elementary school. There were a lot of tradition things that she was really looking forward to that she's been a part of for the other graduating classes that they do a nice little thing for where they walk around the school and all the parents like me cry and I'm not going to be able to do that. And sure. it, it's a bummer. But I told her, I said, look, you know, it's uh, there's there's bigger things at play. You could be sad. You could be upset. You could be angry. All those things are valid, all those emotions. But um, just know that there's a lot of great other things ahead of you in life. And I, that would be my big message for everyone. So it, not for not for Uncle Rico. He really wants to go back. No, Uncle Rico. Well, Uncle Rico got to play in the fall. See, this happened in the spring. So this only screwed up his spring yeah, football true. season. You know. <laughs> Poor Uncle Rico. We should have uh, we should have prom pictures of Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. There you go. That that'll that'll make some good for TV. <sighs> I gotta find that. That <laughs> is not one that I have handy. I have the homecoming ones. That That's I close have. Enough. Close that enough. I have. Definitely. Not I told so. that story on the air here. I don't know if I told it to you or was was it? No, was I don't know. Homecoming. No. Were you the yeah, king? No. I was the king. No kidding. I was the king. Yes. You, Mr. I had two queens. Whoa! Whoa! How'd that work? They split the vote? What's going on I went to North Miami High School, Uh which, you know, wasn't... It was a little bit of a tougher school, I guess. Okay. Okay. And, um... I, look, I, I don't... I don't know how the voting went on the side of the girls, but... Apparently, it was too close to call, and in order to, I think, uh, prevent any sort of uprising, <laughs> they, uh, it was a very um, racially sensitive. Uh, I see. Yes, yes, yes. I got. I, I hear you. So that, that's a, so basically, so that's you walked arm in arm, hand in hand. That's the picture. Did you have to you. dance together. Like that must have been an interesting dance. That first. We did dance not have to dance together. That, oh, that's a shame. No. That's a photo. I had, a, right I, I had a date to that. So it was. It was oh, and then they got three girls. Look at Craig Mish. My goodness, look at you. Look I was you. the homecoming champ. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I do still have the crown. In fact, I think I mentioned that Brett to or to Ranieri that I was going to bring the bust the crown out one day. But I, I don't know where it is. I'll, I, I I found it recently. I'll have to search for uh, it. Well, that that's a that is a good story. I have never heard that. See, it is a heck look of a at picture. us. All People these years wonder. later, still learning things about it. It was each a other. very big talking point in the Craig Mish household for a long time. Seeing <laughs> that picture there and saying, "How? Do, what? What? What's going on here? What you know? happened there? What? Well, understand? What's going on, Dad? Cool. Dad was really cool, kids. Once upon a time, was Dad was the coolest. <laughs> not been Trump King. I don't think that was yeah. eligible. All right. Anyway, this day in fantasy sports history for the 28th of May, 2020, Willie Mays in 1951 hit his first of 660 major league home runs. I was at the game in San Francisco when Barry Bonds tied Willie Mays. I was there. It's cool. 1989, Emerson Fittipaldi wins the Indianapolis 500, uh, first international racer to win since 1966. That happened in 1989. I've got a couple of Barry Bonds notes here. In 1998, this is probably the more interesting one, although the, the second one was, was big, but the first one was probably more interesting. A lot of people recall this. In 1998, Barry Bonds was intentionally walked by Buck Showalter with the bases loaded, and uh, it worked. A run came in, next batter was out, and the Diamondbacks beat the Giants 8-7. to seven. Yeah, that's uh, a great moment there. I mean, that was that run he was on where, you know, he was having more intentional walks and some guys had hits in a season. I mean, it was crazy 
that run he was on. He was the most dangerous player in baseball, the most feared hitter in baseball. And he was just a, a single game wrecker. It seemed like anything that you threw anywhere that was hittable, he was either going to hit out or hit it hard somewhere. Uh, it was an incredible thing to watch. It was very exciting. I understand a lot of people don't love it, but at the same time, you know, look, it was exciting when we watch it. I feel like, I feel like we're kind of disingenuous. Like we're all tuned in and we're all excited and we're all watching these things. And yeah, Barry Bonds is not the most likable guy, but we're all watching it. And then everybody kind of wants to beat the guys up always in the back end for everything and, and tear everybody down. I feel like it's, I don't know, it's, it's a bad trend. It's a bad cycle we're in. And I respect Barry Bonds as a baseball player. He's one of the all-time greats. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I understand why he's being punished, but... If he's not in the Hall of Fame, I think that's kind of ridiculous because he's the best player of his generation. It will. Let's hope. It's getting very close. 70% is is, is almost there. Uh, and, and we'll set the precedent for A-Rod, too. I think A-Rod's going to— That'll be an interesting speech, right, in front of all the other old guys with their jackets? It will because he's not well-liked at all by anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? I mean, really, Willie Mays is the only one, I think. Maybe so. he pulls a T.O., has his own ceremony somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, 2006, Barry Bonds uh, hit home run number 715. Of course, 714 was the big number for Babe Ruth. And then he went on to break 755 with Hank Aaron. And then in 2016, on this great run by the Warriors, which came to an end last year and probably is over for this year, too, Clay Thompson hit 11 three-pointers. And Golden State was down big in this game, but they came back to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Warriors win 108 to 101. Essentially, unfortunately, on the side of the Thunder, the memories of Russell Westbrook. Uh, simply put, Westbrook in an era of being the best player on his team, being one of the best players in the NBA, just was up against it. Almost every single time against another team, he would end up losing. Uh, he'll be a future Hall of Famer for sure, but couldn't get through the big one to get to uh, the championship, unfortunately. Yeah. No, it's very difficult. This era is very difficult, and... We're kind of in that weird mode here. We had the Bulls genre there for a while. And then, of course, we transitioned to the Lakers for a while. And then we were in the Golden State Warriors. And I think now it's a little bit more wide open. So I think now these next few years should be a lot more fun. And I'm hoping Hopefully. that basketball reengages the masses because of it. All right. This day in fantasy sports birthdays for May 28th. We'll start off with Jerry West, born in 1938. Kirk Gibson. In 1957, had one of the biggest home runs, maybe the single biggest home run in the history of the baseball postseason. That could be challenging. Two big right? ones. Let's not forget that big one he hit off Goose Gossage against when the Detroit Tigers and the Padres in '84 too. That was a huge home run. That yeah. that spun yeah, that series. That one. So yeah, yeah, I guess I guess we'd have. He's to had some big that. moments. Kirk Gibson. He gets hit a lot about another guy who wasn't very well liked by some of his teammates because he was too intense and but... his players as manager. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that too. But you know yeah. what? As, as a as a player. We all can say one thing about Kirk Gibson. He showed up in big moments, that's for sure. He's a very intimidating guy. I've always he is. been. He doesn't seem like. There are, there are people that when I have approached, I've felt intimidating. I felt intimidated by Kirk Gibson. I did. Yeah, I was, he just seems like a man who might have never smiled. Like, I don't know if he's ever a, smiled. He's not a big smiler. I, I, I remember sparring with him a little bit back and forth. But um, Take a good shot. Oh, you mean just like verbally? Just talk, just <laughs> going kind of like in, in a conversation. It's like, you know, sometimes guys like to argue. He's, I feel like he's one of those guys. Yeah, he seems a little, um, very intense and seems to off-putting. But an underrated player. And, and by the way, somebody that I could see uh, eventually along the lines of, as you mentioned, Dave Parker in the past, along those lines, 
talk to me 20 years from now, I, I there's a chance Kirk Gibson's in the Hall of Fame. Through a veterans committee of some kind. That would not surprise me. You know, Parker is the one guy for me that I just, I look at the, I always like dominance in it. Like to me, if you have a good five, six year period of dominance and Dave Parker had that, not to mention he had He had longer than every, that. He had longer than that, and he won everywhere he went, too. He, he pulled that Reds organization up by his bootstraps. He won again in Oakland at the, the end. He won with the Pirates. Pirates. Right. And so, I mean, uh, to me, you look at all-around player, too. This was a hell of a right fielder, too, one of the great arms in baseball. And, you know, I just – I don't get it. And and what makes me sad is I see how, you know, how disease has kind of taken a lot of the spirit of him, not all of it, but physically a lot of him. And you just – you don't want to happen what happened to – some other guys where they don't get that moment and they get put in posthumously. I hate that. Give these it guys the moment recently. when they're alive. Yeah. Well, yeah. when Buck O'Neill didn't get a chance to give right. a call, speech, was it was one. the saddest thing ever. That man was such a great ambassador, not just the of the following year. It, it hurt my soul because Buck O'Neill was a great ambassador of baseball. I know. And, and I just, why do they have to do this? Why, why give these people their moment in the sun when they're alive and well enough, especially when you know they're not well. Marvin Miller sad. also this past year. Another one, another one, another one. 1986, Michael Orr, of course, was uh, featured in The Blind Side, a really good football player as well with the Baltimore Ravens. And so they made a movie about him, which is a really good movie, too. It I is. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Very good. Very good sports movie. Underrated sports movie. Yeah, good one, I thought. And then 1988, he's trying to make a comeback. Percy Harvin, former great Gator, good NFL player. I don't I don't see this happening in the NFL. I mean, we saw when we had no sports, essentially, in early April, and the world was on lockdown, we saw Percy Harvin <laughs> running up the stadium at the University of He's in of great shape. I mean, God, I'd kill me in that kind of shape. I'm sure you would, too, man. I, w but I would, but I, I don't. You know, unfortunately for for him, he's the he is a prototypical player that I would vociferously say, do not try and come back. You've had these headaches and and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like why? Like what? I mean, you played a long time at a high level in the NFL. You know, stop. But can't tear the jersey off some of these guys. So maybe Harvin makes a comeback. That's our this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthdays for today. Coming up a little bit later in the show. We're going to take a look at the potential over-unders for two quarterbacks in the NFL, one of them in a new location in Indianapolis. But when we come back next, we're going to dive into one of the really fun seasons, I would say, in Major League Baseball as we go back and we take a look at all of the times that players were drafted year by year and what kind of success rate they had. Did they perform in fantasy? Did they perform in reality? That's coming up a little bit later as well. We'll uh, hit on that and a whole lot more coming up next as Fantasy Sports Today continues. Make sure you like and subscribe to our show on YouTube. Set your notifications to on. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid. Joe and I will be back right after this. Don't be right. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back. If you follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish, I haven't been tweeting nearly as much as I normally do. I really don't have a good reason for that. I've just been kind of antisocial, I guess, lately. Just 
spending more time with family. And I and I and I and I am not the kind of person that is on there that you would mute for the simple reason that this guy just tweets too much. I just I I know those people. I've muted uh, those yeah. people, and 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 I feel like there are some people that they tweet like just a hundred times a day and don't really say anything and. And I feel bad, so I don't unfollow. I just hit the mute button because it's like, my gosh, like, what are you literally doing all day long doing this? I'm, I'm with you. I'm one of those. I do not tweet every day. I, I tweet the shows or the shows around. But, 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 I, but if I, I don't have I anything to say, then I, I really I really don't say it. But the point I'm making is that mm -hmm. yesterday was like like most my most active day probably in a month. I think I had like right. three things to say. And, and one of them was basically... Uh, that and I talked to some people yesterday in baseball too, and and I and I reiterated what I said on social media, which is, if this was to, uh, 1994, what we would be doing is going on Twitter and and finding the term Donald Fear and muting it, and <laughs> and I'm afraid I don't want to go down that road again here with this, and I'm hopeful next week this will all come to an end, and I think it will, and I think there'll be baseball, but. Um, the, the, it reminds me not so much of the strike, but just of the agony and the right. apathy of those stories every day on ESPN. That's all we had was ESPN. That's all we had. So we'd be like and, tuning and in at was. five o'clock. Here's a picture of Donald Fear coming out to talk to the me. It was like a nightmare. And, and this was and before, I, like you said last week, but uh, yesterday, before the NFL really kind of took over as the number one. So baseball was still king in the heat of the summertime for baseball. You're right. That was everything. It, just, it was just an absolute nightmare. And I can't imagine if we had social media back then how destroyed we would all be about this. But that's uh, the 1994 season essentially was a really good season up until that part. So we'll try to focus on that. I'll tell you, there were two takeaways before we get to this 1994 season for me, that two personal stories. Uh, the first is 1994, I think for everybody that follows baseball, that knows anything about baseball, will recognize that this was the season of the Montreal Expos. This was yes. it. This, this was the year that they may not have won the World Series, but from anybody that you'll speak to around the game, there was no question that they are going deep into the postseason. They may not win it all. It takes a special team to win it all. Crazy things happen. You have Bumgarner pitching seven innings out of the bullpen. Josh Beckett pitching three times in five days. Charlie Morton closing out games. Nobody knows who's ever going to win in a Game 7 situation or even in the World Series. The Expos would have made some, some – they would have done some damage there. So that's, that's the first thing that comes to me. The no, second thing that comes to mm -hmm. me is I was at the very last game of the 1994 season. I was there. I was in uh, – uh, in Oakland, I was in Oakland, and it was a night game, and the A's were playing the Mariners. If you look it up, I believe Griffey Homer at the game I was in. I think Randy Johnson even pitched that game, and I left the stadium, and there were reporters everywhere. It was I was a kid, and it was the questions were, "What do you think? This is the last. You think this is going to be the last game of the season? Is this going to be? It was the very. It turned out to be the very last game because the game ended at night. I was on the West Coast, was visiting family. And it turned out to be the last game of the season. And yes, I, I did not prepare well enough for the show. I do have the ticket. <laughs> I, <didn't say> <laughs> I believe you do. So that that's uh, what I'll I remember you know from '94. I, I know where I was when I remember hearing that they were going on strike. Uh, was I was actually in Williamsport uh, playing at baseball camp, and it was in August, and we were there. And and I remember that come news coming down, and we were all just kind of stunned. I mean, here we are, you know, like the boys, literally the boys of summer, playing baseball. And then there's no major league baseball going on. Like what? How's that? We're all going to go home and there's not going to be a world series. How could that be? Uh, you're absolutely right about the Expos too. This team was absolutely loaded. 
uh, from Ken Hill to Pedro Martinez to also looking at some of the incredible stars like Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom, Delano DeShields. Uh, It was an incredible talent. And unfortunately, what happened was they were six games up on the Braves when everything kind of, you know, disappeared. And the ownership, you know, decided when the fans did not come back in 95 that they had to break up the team because they weren't making enough revenue. They were on the precipice anyway. They thought if they had this run, they could save baseball in Montreal and they could save and, and maybe make a couple investments. And then, of course, the rest is history, right? Because after that, and and I actually, um, I started work on a book. I, I, you know, fortunately, you know, you get caught up in life and kids and black books and things like that instead. But I actually started a book, which is uh, hopefully something I'm going to finish at some point in time, which is, it was a continuation of the 94 season written almost like a sports page kind of book. And I actually was working with the people from Out of the Park Baseball on it. And they gave me a bunch of simulations to go through of the rest of the season, the playoffs. And it's impossible, you know, not to wonder and speculate, even if they had gotten to the World Series, how how incredible that could have been. And what if they had gone to the World Series and beaten the Yankees in the World Series? Because the Yankees were in first place when this series yeah. ended. And how that would have changed. And maybe they get a new stadium. Maybe, you know, Montreal completely changes. And then you talk about the ripple effects. One of those ripple effects would be Pedro Martinez never goes to Boston. If Pedro Martinez never goes to Boston... Are we still talking about the curse now? It's very possible. Yeah, hard to say. So the ripple effects of the 94 season were felt on and on and on. Also, you have to imagine that Yankee dynasty too, because the Yankees were a team that uh, this was the first time they had been this good in quite a while. And would they have traded guys like Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, all young guys in the system? Because we knew with Steinbrenner and just coming back, it was all about, hey, I want to move the kids. Let's win now. Let's do all these things. What happened if some of the core four weren't there? Would they have sold out a dynasty for a one-year run? There's so many questions, and the most interesting of all of them was Tony Gwynn at this time. Uh, a lot of people forget the batting average of Tony Gwynn. The batting average of Tony Gwynn was 394. Broke his wrist the last week of the season getting hit uh, by a pitch, and he was at 401. And it was this incredible thing of saying, oh, my gosh, but would Tony Gwynn have felt like he had hit 400 had he not done it the entire – knowing him and – so I actually wrote this piece. It's a beautiful little piece. It's it's tucked away in a computer, but it's this beautiful piece about Ted Williams putting his arm around Tony Gwynn and calling him, you know, a 400 hitter and all these this moment at a press conference. And you think about these moments that baseball could have been, you know, basically robbed of because we didn't have a season. And I'm hoping we don't have that. So focusing on the good, yesterday was the birthdays of two first basemen. And Craig and I got into it about who would you rather have, Frank Thomas or Jeff Bagwell. Well, 1994, you'd want both of them because both won MVP. Two guys with the same birthday winning an MVP in the opposite leagues. That does not happen every day, Craig. That's that's an incredible thing. Both Frank Thomas and, and Jeff Bagwell. This was kind of even the beginning of their peak, too. These were guys that had lots of productive years after this. Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting because you know we're going to do this again either tomorrow or the next day. We're going to take a look at the, the – uh, we got some good hits on that. The sports cards that went up quite a bit. I, I can't, fi- I, I understand it was during what we call the junk wax era, which was where the cards were just so massively overproduced. We're seeing a comeback now a little bit with McGuire and Sosa because the documentary, we illustrated that last week, even Bonds's cards. And people and got rid of a lot of their stuff because there was no value. So now there's right, lots but, of them. Flipping. But again, but Frank Thomas's cards are worth 50 cents, man. Like, I, I mean, it's just like, I don't like that's the one that I think that people are sleeping on. I, I'm not saying that his cards, Joe, will ever. Well, I mean, he does have a, a leaf rookie card that's worth a few bucks. But like his 1990 uh, score card, which is everyone remembers it. It's just a big picture of him smiling. I have, I have it somewhere. 
like, I mean, a quarter, 50 cents? One of the no, greatest hitters of baseball's ever seen. I mean, Bagwell's cards also, to a degree, uh, very cheap. But and there's really no excuse of Frank Thomas, too, because he was uh, he played with Oakland at the end. But he was a White Sox for a long, long time. He associated with one team. And I just think that from that perspective, I know it's a little of a wacky tangent. But I think Frank Thomas's rookie should be worth two dollars. You know, like I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I agree. I, like, or five. Like, like Jim Tomei's cards also are, are in that range of worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Thomas in particular is the one He's that strikes me. I, like I agree. Very under. Just nobody's interested in a Frank Thomas. I guess. I mean, I well, know. I'll tell you what. I mean, you're talking about the sluggers too. We talk about Ken Griffey Jr. and Matt Williams. Both of those guys finished the season. Uh, at 40 home runs for Griffey and 43 respectively for Matt Williams. And this was again, August 11th. So I know it's fun to speculate. So theoretically back then the number was still 61. So do you think either of these guys had a legit shot? I personally think Griffey had a shot because I think if anybody could have, you know, I dealt with the pressure of that, it would have been Ken Griffey Jr. I feel like he was made for that kind of a run. It's, it's possible, but in, in doing the research, we we have we and we've discussed it this week. It seems as though Griffey was a very fast starter and not a as strong as an ender mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the season. So he he sir, look I I wouldn't have ruled it out. And this was toward the point where Griffey was nearing the end of an unbelievable run because he started getting hurt and his career went a little sideways in Cincinnati. But sure, I mean it's possible. I, I yeah, if we had to put money on one. Let's say you had to put money on one. Who would you put it on? I'd put it on Ken. Oh, Not that Matt Williams wasn't great, but I would put it on Ken. Griffey. I mean, we also don't know what was going on with Matt Williams that year. Was he seeing the ball well? Was I mean, who 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 knows? I mean, he's never been under any kind of suspicion of anything. So, yeah. um, I mean, look, Kevin Mitchell had one fantastic year too. You Maybe did? this was Matt Williams's one big year for San Maybe. Francisco. Maybe. I I don't know. Uh, I I would I would have guessed Griffey would have had a shot. I would have probably said he didn't. He wouldn't do it. All right. Cy Young's that year were Greg Maddox of the Atlanta Braves and David Cohn of the Kansas City Royals. Yes, that's right. Kansas City Royals. I said it. Uh, Rookie of the year, Raul Mondesi, uh, whose son is now playing in the major league. So in case you don't feel old right now. Uh, And Hammer and Bob Hamlin. Remember him? Boy, those Royals. Bob Hamlin. Saw him recently. Bob Hamlin is is a scout now in Major League Baseball. And I see him in spring training a lot, as a matter of fact. uh, Still as big as you would think. <laughs> He's a big lad. That's what he is. Uh, that draft that year, too, number one overall pick was the Mets, Paul Wilson. Number two was Ben Grieve, who had some good years with the A's. But it's really the middle of this first round where Nomar Garcia Para, uh, Paul Canerco, and Jason Veritek went right in a row. And of course, Veritek got drafted by the Mariners, but everybody re- remembers him as a Red Sox. And so uh, obviously, a lot of interesting things happening there. But uh, this was an incredible year. At the time, this is also the first year people forget 94 where you had the three divisions in each league. And people were saying this is a disaster because people forget the Texas Rangers were winning the West and they were under 500 at the time. They were actually uh, a few games, quite a few games under. They were 10 games under 500 and they were going to make the playoffs. And people were saying this is never going to work. This is a complete disaster. Everybody had the break. They came back after that. The rest is history. So uh, another thing that had they played out the year who knows? 94, yeah. the ripple effects and thereafter could have been really felt. But also the ripple effects of those guys taking number one. And when you don't get number one right, what that's like long term for an organization, I think, in baseball is very interesting to take a look at. Yeah, I always I always another part of 94. Remember the Marlins uh, getting Gary Sheffield. I think it was 94. Maybe it was 95. 
But anyway, the Mar- <laughs> at some point they got him. It was the second year of the Marlins. And um, uh, I also remember Kenny Lofton being such a great player at that time, too. Yeah. The Cleveland Indians. He was uh, a very another Another great team, maybe, player. right? Those mid-90s John Harden. Bell, Bayerga, Tome. Yeah, great teams. Well, if it feels like we're cutting this off short, we're not. The season was short. It was canceled in 1994. (laughs) There was no World Series, and everyone thought that owning a World Series ball from 1994 was going to be worth hundreds of dollars. You could buy one right now on eBay for 10 bucks. We'll be right back on Fantasy Sports today after this. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. We'll definitely next week have some baseball to talk about because the first year amateur draft is coming up on June the 10th. So we'll have a little bit of a preview of that. The draft is, of course, always a very big deal. But this year in particular, it's very important for some clubs because they're only getting a five-round draft. Essentially, Major League Baseball truncated it this year. I mean, they could say what they want, but it's to save millions and millions of dollars to pay the players of now, to hurt the players of the future. It really stinks, but that's what they've come down to. Uh, first pick in the draft, most likely, probably 99% chance, is this kid Spencer Torkelson, who in the big leagues is going to be a really big DH-type first baseman dude, hitting 30, 40 home runs every single season. Jordan Alvarez, probably type of, uh, of player. Uh, Austin Martin, in all likelihood, from Vanderbilt, infielder, big kid, has a chance to even grow a little bit bigger. 20, 30 home run power will be the second pick. And then, in all likelihood, uh, Miami will take uh, Asa Lacey, a, uh, a pitcher from Texas A&M. That's what looks like the top three. And again, you never know what these kids are going to be, but we'll have a little bit more of a preview. I'll give you a little bit more of an idea as to how I think this is going to go down next week on the show. And then the draft is, of course, on June the 10th. Uh, mm-hmm. Drafts are always interesting. I, uh, I have had a chance, Joe, to attend one when the Major League Baseball draft decided essentially to take it out of the, uh, the shed. It was like it was a nothing for so long. The first year, the first thing that they decided to do with the baseball draft was have it at, on a, at a location. And the location they picked was Orlando, Florida. They had it at Disney World. And they said, well, we're going to make the draft a big spectacle. We're going to bring in legends from every single team to make the picks. And it was the beginning of what we're sort of seeing now with the baseball draft, how it's uh, now you know, at MLB Network and it's on mm-hmm. television this year. It won't be like that. It'll be like the, the baseball draft. So I did go to that draft in Orlando. It was, it was basically hosted by the Tampa Bay Rays at the time. And... Um, it was it was interesting. Not a lot of great players came out of that draft, as a matter of fact, that that I went to. But uh, I, I think that that was the beginning of it. And certainly now it's interesting to look back and see the players that were taken over mm-hmm. the last 10, 15, even 20 years, because very much like football, there's no certainty of success. And that's the that's the thing that's so staggering is you can give a scouting department the entire board and sometimes you could still screw it up. 
And I always find that to be absolutely fascinating. Now, a lot of these names here, since, you know, we go back to all the way to 1981 here, some of the names we have on these lists here that we're looking at, a lot of them are good major league ball players. Most of them got to the big leagues, a couple of hall of famers here, but it's mm-hmm. always just stunning to me that you could say, here you go. You've got every amateur player in baseball at your fingertips and you could still screw it up. And it just, it blows my mind. And uh, it's a very interesting also to think about the percentage recently this is a study I did for the baseball black book a couple of years ago, which is uh, the number of high school pitchers, uh, how they hit at a much lower rate than the number of college pitchers for obviously a myriad of reasons and what why it makes college pitchers a much better fantasy investment in dynasty as opposed to the high school arm. Not only have to wait longer. Uh, starting with this list in the 80s, too, you have Mike Moore, who I remember pitching for the Mariners. Uh, Sean Dunstan, who was a terrific shortstop for the Cubs. Okay, those are pretty good. We're off to a good start. Tim Belcher was taken by the Twins, but I think we always think of Tim Belcher as a Dodger during those runs in the 80s. Yeah, good where career. He was pretty good. Yeah. He did. Sean Abner for the Mets never really panned out. No. BJ Surha for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, a guy that did have a good major league career. I would say Very his best years with Baltimore, right? Yeah. Listen, if, if you're the first pick in the draft, of course it would be nice for you to be a Hall of Famer. But if you sure. played 15 years in the big leagues at a and, and made an all-star team or two, uh, right. what's to argue with? That's what you're looking so, for. So, so far, you would say four out of five in the, the 80s already, we're doing okay. Yeah, I would say but, so, yeah. All right, let's go to the next part of the 80s. 1986, Jeff King did make it to the Pirates, was their third He's baseman for a few for years. A few years. Was okay. He was a good player. 1987, Ken Griffey Jr., home right. run. Well done there, boys and girls. Uh, 1988 was Andy Bennis of the San Diego Padres. Long, he had long. some good moments. And then yeah. there was this guy, which, again, as a baseball card collector, I think you were probably as excited as I was. Oh, yeah. Oh, how many Ben McDonald rookie cards would I? I was hoarding them. I was hoarding them like a miser, all, all these things that I had. And Ben McDonald, unfortunately, never became the pitcher that I think people had oh. expectations for. So I would say in the 80s, Ben McDonald was probably the biggest bust of all of those number one picks. Would you agree I, or disagree? I, I, think, I think Abner would be, but I think it's fair because of, of how McDonald came in coming off arguably one of the best careers ever at LSU. In fact, he's their lead broadcaster right now for LSU games on television. So um, he was- Well, tell him I got some cards for him to autograph. (laughs) (laughs) He was an absolute legend there. So I think it's fair to say that he was the biggest bust because, I mean, he did pitch in the big leagues for a while. I mean, he played more than Sean Abner did. Uh, but b- because of his name, yes, I think that. All right, so we'll we'll give it to a tie there. But uh, Abner did have some years with the Padres after he got dealt from the Mets. I do kind of remember him kind of playing at all well. <laughs> I don't know. I just I have zero memory of Ben McDonald pitching well for the Baltimore Orioles. To tell you the truth, uh, going on to the '90s, let's do the first half of the '90s here. Chipper Jones, Atlanta Braves Hall of Famer. Well done, Atlanta Braves. Know what they're doing. Brian Taylor, one of the. Most unfortunate stories, the talent of Brian Taylor, what could have been. Of course, he gets into that bar fight, breaks his pitching hand, and the rest is history, including his career. So that was a guy, too. I remember the Brian Taylor cards, the number one draft. Everybody had those, There's another – it's like the Yankee inflation, you know? Oh, absolutely. Kevin Moss, Brian Taylor. Now there's a kid right now uh, named Jason Dominguez. Oh, sure. The little guy. Yeah, well, so far, Jason Dominguez looks like he might be the real deal. But again, it's a lot of time. It's, left if, it's a Yankee, I, if it's a know, Yankee, I'm always, it's always, I'm always a little skeptical. Hey, but you know what? They've been pretty good recently. I mean, Aaron Judge has come through the system. He's been very good. Aaron Judge was not thought to be anywhere close to what he is right now. And, and the Yankees did not think that Aaron Judge was going to be who he is right now. Well, the scouting department did a really good job acquiring Glaber Torres. I didn't even draft him, but that was a hell of a job. I think he's their best player personally, but that's just me. Inter- international player as well. 
the rest of the mid nineties or the early nineties, Phil Nevin, uh, drafted by the Houston Astros, but certainly had some good years there. Yep. Alex Rodriguez, Hall of Famer with the Mariners. Sure. Paul Wilson, of course, my Mets get a chance at number one overall pick. Blew it. And, and Paul Wilson, part of the uh, the big three, that trio of uh, Pulsifer, Isringhausen, and Paul Wilson. Only Isringhausen went on to have a good career when he became a closer later on, uh, but right. not so Wilson great. Just got hurt way too much, man. And then, of course, 95, Darren Erstad. So a mixed bag, I'd say, in the first half of the 90s. Would you agree? Darren Erstad had a nice career, but yeah, uh, you got had a good career. and a couple guys who never really panned out at all. Yeah, it's just it's just opposites, basically. It's it's one spectrum or the other. But, uh, yeah, Erstad had a really good career, too. I don't think you, you could argue that. All right, the latter half of the 90s had some decent names here. Chris Benson for the Pirates, who certainly had some very good years with the Pirates yeah. and then with the Mets. And Matt then. Anderson with the Detroit Tigers. Now That's a complete bust. That one, I can't, I don't remember him making it to the big Very hard-throwing pitcher, yeah. What happened to him? Was it an injury Injuries or? Injuries and just ineffectiveness, yeah. <sighs> Unbelievable. 98, the Philadelphia Phillies selected Pat Burrell, number one overall. Obviously very good for him. Yes. Uh, Josh Hamilton was taken number one overall by the Rays. Well, we all know the Josh Hamilton story. So sure. I would say in the latter part of the 90s, looking at this, give me Pat Burrell. Give me the guy who was there all the time. I know Hamilton Probably. had the higher yeah. ceiling. Well, Pat Burrell was a pretty good player for a long period of time. He was yeah, a good defensive player, too. Yeah, so, very good Great player. arm as well. So, yeah, no, uh, hard, hard to argue that. University of Miami, if I'm not, yeah, for Pat Burrell. All right. So, again, it's it's amazing to me so far. We did the 80s and 90s all over the place. <laughs> it's just crazy. You get Hall of Famers. Not an exact science. Okay guys and guys who never make it. And I feel like it's like a third ratio we're kind of hitting here. Let's see if the 2000s get any better because you have Adrian Gonzalez starting with the Florida Marlins. Uh, I've forgotten that the Marlins had drafted him. Uh, how did, did he get dealt? Do you recall what that deal was? Yes. Or how it yes. In 2003, they traded him uh, to the Padres for Ugeth Urbina, and Urbina <gasps> helped them win the World Series. It was Oogie. Oogie hey, Urbina. Urbina never was anything after that, but they bought. it's the same thing as Chapman essentially going to the Cubs for Glaber Torres. You look back. It, it's painful right now that the Cubs don't have Torres, but they got that World Series, and a big part of it was because of Chapman. The Marlins oh, do not win the World Series without Urbina. So, oh, I I agree with you 100. Yeah, percent I could they not had remember to do the deal. Yeah, off the top of my it. head who that guy was, but it was Oogie Urbina, uh, who later had some weird things happen back home. Did this yes, chasing with machetes, and he's in jail, all kinds of stuff. What the hell? Crazy times there. Anyway, uh, Joe Mauer, I don't think was had any machetes when he was drafted by the Twins in 2001. You know, Joe Maurer had a couple really good years there, but I would say overall, it kind of fell a little flat, which is kind of sad because you want the hometown guy to kind of be the hometown hero. And I don't he think was. anybody in Minnesota would think that. You don't think that he fell flat a little bit? You don't think he lived up to the, the hype no, of what I, he's going to be? That, I, I think he's in the hall of very good and and was a great player for a long time. And we, we just see things differently with. I don't uh, know. I Matt. think he was a great player for a short period of time and a good player for a long period of time. Um, just looking at the numbers and also, I, I think they got no regrets. The problem with Mauer is that he was just massively overpaid and that's what people are going to remember. Yeah. He but got, I mean, like, this was a guy who would hit 310, 311 and things like that in the season. But the power never really sustained. He had that one if, great power. If Joe Mauer played in the eighties. He'd be a hall of famer. Um, it's possible. He didn't play catcher as long as Boggs, Gwynn, Biggio, all, you know, all, all didn't hit a lot of home runs. They did the other things. That's what Mauer did, but he, pl Mauer played fair. in the era where the home runs came and, and his did not. It's fair. So the, the 2000s start off pretty good with Mauer and Gonzalez. 
Then we got to Brian Bullington of the Pirates in 02, Delman Young of the Rays in 03, and Matt Bush in 04. Uh, for the Padres. Yeah, Delman Young, yeah. big wrestling fan. I know he does a wrestling podcast with a friend of oh, mine. Oh, does so. he? Oh, yeah. yeah Del- Delman Young was all right. He played, for, you know, 10 years probably in the major leagues and, you know, had some issues, you know, attitude issues too. But, um, the way, you know, I mean, you look back on it, he, he definitely was was supposed to be a lot better and it didn't work mm-hmm. out. But you cannot put him in the same category as Bullington and Bush. I mean, that is. Yeah. No, and the rest of the 2000s here going through real quick, Upton, Justin Upton with the Diamondbacks, Hochevar with Big the Kansas success. Royals, yeah, yeah. David Price with the Rays, obviously still going, uh, yeah. Tim Beckham, and then, of course, Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper going back-to-back years for the Nationals. Talk about a team, an organization knocking it out of the park. When you can take two guys who are some of the best offensive and, and the best you know starting pitchers in baseball back-to-back years and crush it like that, that's impressive to me. Garrett Cole went the year after to the Pirates. And, of course, Carlos Correa, who I'm still holding out hope for. I know Craig does not, but I do. Uh, but they're 2014. <laughs> I was going to say, and I forgot looking at the list, Brady Aiken right after that. So I mean, isn't man. that amazing that the Astros, all this success that they've had, and they completely busted out? So maybe maybe all picks. these punishments aren't going to make a difference for them. <laughs> maybe it is more about international scouting. I mean, I would think it's going to make a difference, but still, like, I mean, to see, I mean, they, look, they hit on a lot of other players in these drafts too, that, that they ended up trading. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, Correa, Appel and Aiken, only one of those guys you could say contributed, obviously. So. But Alex Bregman turned out to be a superstar. Yeah. Springer. And internationally, they got Alvarez. They signed Gurriel from Cuba. They're just, listen, I mean, Jeff Luno's, probably gonna have a hard time getting a gig for a while but he i mean when once he basically took the reins of the astros they they started figuring out how to win right away so i agree all right uh that'll do it for our first hour of the show coming up some nfl props a little bit later we hit the nascar circuit with matt sells you're watching fantasy sports today craig mitch joe pizapia we'll be back in just a couple of minutes after this quick break don't go away DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. 